You're all deeply blessed this morning because you get to hear me talk for another uh, long time. <laughs> From the book of Felix. <laughs> Just kidding. Just a, just a fun fact. Um, this, uh, my sermon notes almost didn't make it here because uh, some of you guys know that end of school just happened and we... Uh, you know, Abby, our our, our uh, grade one, uh, our daughter, she she came back with tons of her schoolwork, and she was super excited, all the creations and she'd made, and, you know, of course, we cannot keep all these things, and so we put them in a recycle, and uh, as, she, as we were taking them out to the recycle, she says, you can't throw away my favorite things, how can you throw all these things? I said, which ones is your favorite? All of them. And she says, she says, how dare you throw away my creations? And she says... How would you feel if I threw away your sermon notes? <laughs> so these are, these are precious. These are precious. Save from Abigail's wrath. Bless her. Comparison is a thief of joy. Now it's a common saying that I'm sure many of you will recognize and resonate with. For example, this injury that I have up here, it's uh, from jujitsu, martial arts. I would say it makes me tough, but my wife would say it makes me stupid. <laughs> so you, you can ask her. But we all wrestle with comparison in some way. And I'd say I wrestle with it daily. And some days more than others. Sometimes it's more about how the kids are doing in school or whether they're behaving or not. Or it could be how... Uh, our family is doing, or I see someone roll up in a Tesla, I'm like, oh, hmm, I would like to have a Tesla as well. That would make me look very cool. And to be clear, comparison is fine and natural on its own, but it can also lead to unhealthy envy, jealousy, and pride. And at its roots, it reveals a lack of contentness in our lives. And I'd say I'm definitely recovering approval and status seeker, wrestling with the hunger for validation. And I wish this wasn't true of me, especially as a campus minister. So if you don't know, I work with uh, university students at UBC. Shout out to students like Paul. And we get to journey together and just live life, sharing about who God is. And over my past 11 years of ministry, I'm sad to say that I've experienced this selfishness show up time and time again. There's a fear and insecurity of who, who am I? Do I matter? And imagine there might be one or two of us that wrestle with today. And I'll just share a quick story that illustrates this. Uh, a few years ago, I was sharing uh, some time with other um, staff and students at UBC, so members of different Christian communities and churches. I think it's where that's... Uh, that's not up there. And this is one that's more recent, um, but uh, there was a very similar situation a few years ago. And so it was end-of-year celebration where we shared stories of how God was at work and people um, meeting God for the first time, encouraged by the communities. And, but despite this opportunity for joy, I had this underlying thought 
I said, well, actually, power change actually is the most gospel-focused. Did you know? Like, that's, I just said to myself, like, more people have come to faith through our ministry this year than all the other ministries combined. And I felt very smug and self-satisfied, very self-serving, and very superior in an awfully pride way, prideful way. Now, thankfully, the Lord convicted me of this pride a few days later, as I read from John 3. And uh, the pastor will come up here. And just some context of this passage, this is written to... Uh, uh, this is written after Jesus has been baptized and also after uh, Christ's miracles um, at Cana. And so he's begun his ministry and has been um, blessed. In verse 22 it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with him and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This is before John was put in prison. An argument develops between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of a ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater I must become less. And I realized I had that same fearful, insecure attitude as John's disciples. They've been faithfully following John for the past you know, number of years, calling people to repent, to be baptized. No doubt experiencing the highs and lows of ministry. But we can see that their sensation of approval, of status, diminishes. And they seem too blinded by their hunger for status. And they miss out on the joy it is that people are coming to follow Jesus. And that's too true for me as well at times. John says this very important phrase. He must become greater. I must become less. And there's a lot we can uncover here, but... John's, verses, John's words in verse 3 struck me like a ton of bricks. I realized that I was serving myself and not seeking God at all. Instead of seeking first the kingdom, I was thinking about how can I build a kingdom of Felix? And though P2C, or Power Change, is a wonderful and amazing ministry, I was using it as my own false source of validation, of success, of value. Another thing to note, too, in that verse, he refers to himself as the bridegroom, or he refers to Jesus as the bridegroom. And the New Testament talks a lot about how Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. I was seeing all the success of ministry as me, all about me. And since that day, I've tried my best to 
pray that verse sets at verse 30 many times a day, as many times as needed. Sometimes it's simple as, Lord, help me become humble. Help me to know that it's not about me. Help me to know that it's about your kingdom. I remind myself that it's not my plans or my dreams that matter, but it is God who matters. And perhaps you're not in ministry, but maybe you have other areas that you wrestle with your, in terms of comparison, in terms of this trap. Maybe it's how your kids are doing, or how your job is doing, or how maybe the family regards you. And fear and pride are kind of the same, two sides of the same coin. You can either feel really superior to others, or also feel inferior to others as well. And there's a quote that I'll throw up um, on the screen here from John McComer. Uh, he's a pastor in the States, uh, Oregon, that I appreciate. He says, Our culture is obsessed with image, with looking good over being good, with applause and accolades from people, rather than attention and approval from the Father. It's exhausting. Always trying to keep up, stay cool, stay informed, well-read. We end up living with our emotional state rising and falling based on what people are or aren't saying about us. We end up living into a stereotype from our culture to act, dress, think a certain way, rather than identity and calling from God, living under the tyranny of the approval or disapproval of other people. Now, I'm not sure how that might hit you, but I know that that tugs at my heart and how I often wrestle with that tyranny as well. Now, there's a a few questions that will show up for, for us to reflect And just to give you a heads up of where we're going, um, I want to unpack a little bit of who John the Baptist was and what it meant for him to be that witness. And then also look at how do we respond to this comparison trap? How do we break free? So here's the questions for us to consider. Uh, First, what are our everyone else is going to him concerns and fears? Disciples of John, they're wondering, oh, Everyone's going over there, and maybe it wasn't a mass exodus, but it was a slow trickle, or a few people a day going over to Jesus, and their numbers were decreasing. So what are those things for us, our concerns and fears? And two, how have we fallen into that comparison trap and lacked confidence in our identity? And so as we spend time together thinking about this text, this text encourage us to consider these questions and we'll visit them later on. Uh, next slides. So look at the origin story of who John the Baptist was. So many people know him as a guy who wore animal skins, went out to eat organic locusts and honey before it became cool. Um, actually, he was uh, the cousin of Jesus and he was born to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we can hear more about that story in Luke 1. And he was conceived miraculously. They were a very old age, and so at a time when it was impossible to conceive. And long story short, there was a, an angel that appears to Zechariah saying, you have a son. And he says, no, definitely not. And kind of as a semi-punishment, the angel 
makes him mute for a time. And he becomes able to speak only when he says his name will be John. And there's this verse that everyone says about that time. It says, what then is this child going to be? Everyone else in awe about this, this miracle. What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So even at birth, there was something powerful, something very purposeful about his life. I want to share more about him as a witness. Uh, next slide there, Paul. This is the beginning of John, referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made. In him was life, and that was the life, light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. So that's referring to Jesus. Now introduce John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not that light, but he came only as a witness to the light. So he recognizes his place. A few verses later on, uh, the next slide, the Pharisees, they come, the religious rulers of the day, they come to say, who are you? Who are you? And he says, I am the voice of one calling the wilderness. Make straight the path, straight the way for the Lord. Now they, they question him, why then do you baptize if you aren't Elijah, the Messiah, or the prophets? He says, I, rep- I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. He is one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So he recognizes his place, who he is in light of who Jesus is. And verse 29, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So if you're familiar a bit with Jewish custom, lambs are offer, offered as sacrifice for their sins. In John, he specifies here, you are the, he is the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the whole world, not just people, not just individuals. In verse 3, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And I think the context of this 31 is he did not know that he was the Messiah yet because I'm assuming that growing up as cousins, they had play dates and, and so on. So <laughs> they, not, they, they were not unknown to each other. In verse 32, then John gave his testimony. I saw the spirits come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. This is the baptism of Jesus. And I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. And again, he recognizes who he is, recognizes who Jesus is. We can just see in verse 35, his humility. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God, that title again. 
When the disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And interestingly enough, some of those disciples, one of those disciples that followed was actually Andrew, who ended up following Jesus. And Andrew's brother was Simon Peter, who we know was one of the more impactful um, disciples of Christ who helped follow, who found the church. Now, we see these verses and we see John's very humble response. But I imagine that he, just like his disciples, felt that, that, that pull in their hearts, in his heart. I, I wonder about, am, am, I, am I right in my calling? What's going on? How come people are not following me anymore? They're following Jesus. But we see that he's able to overcome that pride and he points people back towards Jesus. The disciples, he sees them follow, Jesus sees them following and says, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? They want to, <laughs> kind of doing an interview. Come, he replied, and you will see. Now imagine if John was tight-fisted. Man, he was like, nope, I own the disciples. They belong to me. They wouldn't have the opportunity to follow Jesus and for to be taught at the feet of Jesus. So much joy would have been missed out. So hopefully that gave us some good context about who John was, but also how his knowledge of his identity and acceptance by Christ, it gave him a groundness. Now let's go back to our passage, and I'll just focus on a few elements. Uh, verse 26. Again, the disciples of John say, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. And John replies, A person can only receive what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. And uh, shout out to Tim, getting married shortly. Imagine if his bride, if his uh, groomsmen were just jealous. (laughs) Like, ah, I can't believe he's getting married. When it's it's my turn, that would be a very uh, joyful wedding, would it? So in the same way, think, let's think about the joy that we can have for others and let us recognize when this pride that comes up to fight, that fight against that joy. Now back to those reflection questions. What are our everyone is going to him concerns and fears? And as I shared for me, sometimes it's how I feel ministry is going, how, how people are growing or not. Um, it can also be just how, maybe how my, my uh, relationship with Jessica is going, my wife. If I feel like I'm a like, top-notch husband or if I'm like the worst husband, that can really affect my self-esteem. Or secondly, how we fall into comparison trap and lack confidence 
and their identity. And now these will change depending on our stage in life. When I was at university, I was always wrestling with, oh, who got a better mark now? Now, as a, as a parent, Ab gets a report card. I, I talk to other parents. Oh, what did, what did, uh, what did, your, what did your kid get? <laughs> how, how are they doing in school? I have that, that measuring stick. Or I consider maybe how are, how are my peers doing? And I, I think about, oh, are their jobs getting that validation? So what is it for you today? How do you fall in the comparison trap? Now, I don't want to leave us with being stuck in that trap. And so I'll walk through four steps with us that will help us to break free from these traps. First, is to look for a comparison and confess it. Look for a comparison and confess it. Now, if you're wondering how you might do that, it maybe becomes very natural to you. But one way to find out what that might be is when are you feeling strong feelings of jealousy, of envy, of frustration? Those might be pointing towards a place where you're insecure, where you might feel inferior or maybe superior to others, fear and pride again. And the newsflash, this is not a fun exercise, <laughs> but it helps us in the right direction. So look for a comparison and confess it. And diagnose the problem. The second step is to preach the gospel of acceptance to ourselves. Preach the gospel of acceptance to ourselves. Now what is that gospel? It's not just work harder, grind out. Our foundation needs to come from someone else beyond us. And there's a great verse um, written by Paul in Romans that specifies this. Romans 8, and the verse will come up here. He writes, What then shall we say in response to these things? These, he referring to charges, accusations. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Oh, sorry. I didn't get these one to you, Paul, in time, so it's my bad. Just, just listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one is condemning us anymore. <laughs> Oftentimes, it's just us who condemns ourselves. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor powers, height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that key right there, the love of Christ 
Love is in Christ Jesus our Lord, not through our own actions. Our actions have a role to play to get out of these traps, but our foundation is through Christ. So, look for a comparison and confess it. Two, preach the gospel of acceptance to ourselves. And thirdly, preach the gospel of acceptance to others, to one another. Preach the gospel of acceptance to others. Now, the great thing about being community is that we recognize we can't do it on our own. If we do think so, we, go, we don't go very far before we realize that we need help. And here's a, a, perhaps a perspective to look at about how we can do, go about that. So we talked about the center church, center set church in the past few weeks, how it's not about in or out, but it's how do we point one another towards Jesus? How can we help one another walk towards Jesus? Just like John the Baptist, he sent his disciples, hey, here is the Lamb of God, follow him. Let's point one another to Jesus. And Jessica is really amazing at this, my wife. Especially when I'm being too hard or too strict on the kids who are very saying hi. <laughs> when I'm being too strict or too punishment-oriented, she says, have grace. They're just kids. And I said, no, 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 but, 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 no, no. They're just kids. <laughs> she reminds me my value isn't as how well are the kids behaving or how am I doing as a father? Or sometimes it's as simple as saying, maybe it's Jessica to me or me to her or to someone on our staff team, and we say, you are worth more than your ministry. You are worth more than your ministry. And you might insert blank for yourself. You are more, you're worth more than your job as a teacher, as a pharmacist, as a musician. We don't, we don't really need to add spiritual language. We need to say, God accepts you. <laughs> Very simple. And Paul, do you have the, those four things that the God is gracious? Yeah. Awesome. Great. So, um, if you like a four-step program, this might help for you too. And so one thing that's helpful for us to consider is, one, what is true of God? He is gracious. Two, what is true of my sinful self? I like to prove myself to others and to God. Three, how is Jesus the hero in response? That gracious one become the outcast one. On the cross, he was rejected. He was put away from the Father that they had been together for eternity so that we could have acceptance. We could be accepted by Him. And how do we respond? In faith, we trust that it's God's work that matters and not our own. We are accepted through Christ and so our rise and fall, our performance can go up and down, but that doesn't change who we are as people. And lastly, cultivate gratitude. Cultivate gratitude. So how do we develop these attitudes of joy? Uh, just going back to my example of wanting to serve students better. 
And every year there's tons of students that come through UBC and SFU and they're seeking community. And just with how time works, not every student can connect with our Bible studies or our different events. And a few years ago, our staff realized, hey, why don't we make a connection with another staff from another Christian group and make that direct introduction? And so we would start having meetings. Oh, you know, I'm sorry this doesn't work for you in Power Change, but InterVarsity is a great community that we'd love for you to plug into. And remember just slowly that shifting of that attitude instead of must hold on to all these hundred students. It was, how can we bless the blood sisters who come through here are looking for community? Help them to be plugged into somewhere where they can be cared for. It didn't matter whether they're in power change or some other community. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The people, the church, belong to Christ. Let us take joy in that. And as I close, I'll invite our worship team to come up. And uh, I'll share this final quote with us that I think ties it in together with how we need to preach the gospel to each other and ourselves. And this is from a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was a, a pastor, a German pastor in World War II. He says, Therefore the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he comes un- becomes uncertain and discouraged. He needs his brother man as a bearer and a proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother or sister. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. And so let that be our minor to not only live on our own following Christ, but also live taking joy and encouraging one another. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that no matter our station, no matter our status, no matter how we feel life is going up and down, that you are with us, you accept us. We thank you for John the Baptist's example, humbling himself and pointing towards Jesus. May we continue to point to one another towards you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.